be warned prior to entry. Filming feelings may contain spoilers to any of the films listed in the description. Please check before you proceed. Thank you very much. Hello there, lovely listeners, and welcome to another episode of Filmic Feelings. This is our November wrap-up. Uh, Cooper, it's been a big month at the movies, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Um, it's been a big month at the movies, and we have not seen about a, a solid half of the things that are out in the movies at the moment, but that's also because we're at the time in the year when everything starts getting a bit wishy-washy in terms of international releases, you know, for instance, over in the United States, you guys have Next Goal Wins, which is a Taika Waititi movie made here in New Zealand, which for some reason we're not getting until the new year. Not sure how any of that or why any of that works that way, but, you know, you just got to kind of go with it. And uh, we'll be talking about some similar things like that over the next uh, little bit with you guys. So, uh, Cooper, shall we talk about... Before we go into what were the kind of big releases that we highlighted last uh, last episode, last wrap-up, uh, let's talk about some of these things, the things that we we have seen. Uh, Loki. Loki Season 2 ended this month. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but, I mean, what an amazing second half of the season we had. I mean, I think I said in the last episode, I think we are at about Episode 4, and I was like, oh, it's not too bad, but I'm kind of hoping they make it a bit more Loki-centric. And wow, did they deliver on that promise in the last two episodes. Yeah, wow. It was really Loki-centric. And I mean, we, we got a lot of interesting stuff in that last in that last two episodes, don't you think, Cooper? Yeah, I think, spoiler by the way, the bit where he's walking up to his new throne, that was an amazing television scene. Yeah, well, I mean, Loki moving from being this over the course of this whole series where we start him at the end of Avengers and we move him through to now, he goes on a similar arc to the other Loki who we saw in the Thor movies and in Avengers Infinity War, but he has a very different arc and he has one that lands him where he is at the end of this series where he is the god of the multiverse or the god of stories, however you want to kind of articulate it. It depends on whether you've read the comics where Loki becomes the god of stories or I think kind of the the niche that he fits in this universe, in this Marvel Cinematic Universe, is that he is the god of the multiverse and he is watching over the multiverse and uh, ready for a possible incursion by the Kangs, by the variants of He Who Remains, who we get to see in some pretty fun scenes in the in the final few episodes. So Loki season two, I think Loki is probably the strongest Disney Plus series, uh, closely followed by Miss Marvel. Uh, it was I I w- was a little lukewarm on it for the start of season two, but I think it really ties it all back in at the end to the point where I I am going to go back and rewatch it over the Christmas season and um, with that kind of added understanding of where it's all going. Um, I think I just wasn't quite looking for it. Or maybe it just wasn't kind of plotted out uh, necessarily well enough. But I definitely think that that, that doesn't reduce the payoff of, of the end of that show. Um, Cooper, do you want to talk about Braun, the Braun docuseries that we've been watching the last few few nights? Yes. So Braun, basically, for anyone who doesn't know, is where Keanu Reeves has done a four-part documentary. One of our favourites here at Speakaway, bro, of Keanu Reeves. Yes, we love Keanu Reeves. And we don't love Kanye. We want to make that clear in this moment. We do not endorse Kanye West in the slightest. Anyway, please continue, Anyway, so Braun GP is where Keanu Reeves, over four hour-long episodes, dives into the history of the F1, of the one-pound F1 team, as it's known, of Braun GP. Mm, who began their kind of racing career as an offshoot of the 
uh, Honda team. Yeah, so basically Braun, we'll just quickly recap. Braun was someone who worked at Ferrari for a long time. as Ross Braun. Yes, Ross Braun. Someone who worked at Ferrari for a long time doing... A very clever team strategist. Yeah, team strategist. And then he moved on to be team principal at Honda, mm-hmm. which then the big 2008-2009, was it stock market crash? The GFC, the global financial crisis. Yeah, the financial crisis happened. Honda couldn't afford to stay in the F1. And so they were going to shut the team down. Ross Braun and another man named Nick Fry said, no, let's get this team sold. Mm-hmm. Tried to find some buyers and couldn't. So Ross said he'd buy it. And I can't remember how much they bought it for, but when he was doing the deal with Honda, or I don't think it's Mr. Honda, but the person no, who... but the representative of Honda. The representative of Honda, Ross Braun handed him one pound to secure the deal. Mm. And he still has it today. And that's why it's known as the one pound F1 team. Yeah. And so the series really chronicles the first year of Braun because after the first year... It was um, no longer Braun GP. It was no longer Braun GP in that way. And so it really chronicles the the one year of Braun GP and we won't spoil it here because we really think that you should go watch it if you haven't already. Even yeah. if, you know, because Cooper, of course, as we've learnt the last number of weeks while the F1's been on, is a big fan of the F1. I am not really. I have you a have passive a new interest. interest for it now. I don't know if I have a new interest in watching the sport, but I have a new appreciation for the inner workings and the mechanics of how the sport works, which I didn't have before. You know, there was a lot of stuff that I just didn't really understand. And I walked out of Braun GP with a better understanding and with a massive appreciation for Keanu Reeves. I mean, this is not just a celebrity who is coming in to do a voiceover on this documentary for a paycheck. He is conducting the interviews with the producers. Like he is right there. You know, he's he's out in Brazil with Rubens Barrichello, who's one of the former Braun drivers at one point. Like he's all over the place doing these interviews with these people. He, he's at Silverstone with Button, Jensen yeah. Button. And he's, you know, it's not like they're shot in two separate shots all the time. He's often, you know, if there's a a kind of central interview with Ross Braun that kind of runs through the spine of the uh, of the runtime and they're literally sitting right next to each other on the couch. Like they're in on an L-shaped couch and Ross Braun's on one part and Keanu's on the other part and you just have them in this two-shot for 90% of the interview. Yeah, and there were some really great people he interviewed, obviously, Rubens, mm. yep. Jensen, uh, Ross Braun, Nick Fry, the CEO. Yeah. Um, all the team managers, uh, and mechanics and strategists, and all of those guys from Braun. Yeah, uh, we the got team s- principal from Red Bull, Christian Horner. Yes, yeah, the ex team principal of Ferrari. I can't remember his name. Very sorry. Do like you though. Yes, I don't remember his name either. And then they they even got a cameo from Lewis Hamilton's dad, Anthony, in there. Um, we also got. Bernie Eccleston. Bernie Eccleston. We did get Bernie. The smiling assassin himself. Yeah. But, yeah, it was it was a really fantastic series. I, I really and enjoyed it. I liked how there was a mix of both old clips, uh-huh. recreations, and all the interviews thrown in there. Yeah, and they the had sound. a really good mix of footage, oh. both archive, like Cooper's, to- and very extensive archive, you know, not just stuff from Braun, but like uh, mounted cameras on cars and recorded oh, yeah. audio links from Red Bull, from Mercedes well, cars, from all over the well, track. Well, see, that's what they do in F1 is... There's always a camera up top there. And actually, yeah. when you watch the live footage or even like if you replay it on KRL Foxtel, you see every now and then they'll cut to the overhead shot like they did with Lando's crash Yeah, in Vegas. And whenever they come on the radio, if it's something significant, 
you'll hear it. But still, like those those clips aren't free. Like you have no, to, they're not free. You have to pay money for that, and like it would also depend on the legality of it, of whether you know Braun owns. There, like, I don't know the intricacies of how that footage works and who's actually capturing the footage and who then on sells it. But regardless, it's it's a lot of steps just to get this footage that you know they're talking about it in interviews anyway. And it's just really, it really sinks you even that much further in it because you know you're right behind Jensen Button's head. You can see the top of his helmet as he's talking both in real time in the present day and also to his team manager in the in the race over the comms you know about the understeer of the car and about you know needing to pull in and how am I going for time and all these things yeah it's it's really fascinating yeah and i think I think this is worth a good watch because also, I mean, one of the best intros I think I've ever seen in a TV show. Ever. What, just Keanu walking towards the yeah, car? Yeah, so Keanu's walking in the dark and all of a sudden he walks into a room, still dark, and you can see an outline of a vehicle and then the lights come on and it's Keanu looking at the car itself. And he's also in the control rooms looking at the old footage. Yeah, right. So I think this is an amazing show because it also highlights what I believe is the golden era of F1. I mean, because yeah, it's it's all of the names that we recognise from watching Top Gear around yeah, this time period. You know, Kimi Raikkonen's and yeah. Yeah, Mark Webber, we forgot to mention I mean, Mark I'd Webber. Say, I, I don't know if I'd say it's the golden age because, you know, you've oh, obviously got your time periods where you've got Senna and Schumacher and... All of Flat, those people uh, in the field. Not Flavia. Fangio, Jim Clark, Sterling Moss. They're but I 70s. think it's, you know, it's it, they, they come in waves and they come in cycles. Yeah. And I think this was a very significant period in time for Formula yeah. One. But I also say it's the golden era because you also have the last of the screaming V10 engine before it went to this sort of V6 hybrid sure. engine. Because that was the last of the engines that right, made okay. the amazing noise. But yeah, we we really enjoyed watching uh, Braun Motor GP as a family yeah. on Disney Plus. Something also, else. One oh. one error I'd like to point out to you: it's not Moto GP. Right. Moto GP is bike racing. Well, Cooper, you tell them what it's called then. Braun GP. There you go. And actually, one thing we haven't touched on is they also talk about the, um, what's it called? The sort of logistics into it. Not It's not just races. It's like the full logistics of how it works with Bernie and Max Mosley running the teams, not running the teams, running photo, the organization. And yep. it gives you not only an interesting look into the, driving itself it also gives you an interesting look into the actual like logistics of the sport yeah so yeah i think that's worth a good watch it's on disney plus yeah give it a give it a look uh meanwhile over on apple tv plus we haven't caught up to date yet but we're only just behind with monarch legacy of monsters this is a new series from Apple TV+. Plus. It is set in the Warner Brothers Monsterverse, which uh, started in 2014's Godzilla, continued in Kong, vers- uh, Kong Skull Island, then Godzilla King of the Monsters, and then Godzilla vs. Kong. And there's going to be a Godzilla vs. Kong 2 coming out. I believe it's next year. And this story... Uh, very much more grounded. It's less about monsters fighting monsters. It's more about the human element of this series. And it takes place in 2015 across multiple time periods. There's a time period running kind of back in the 50s. There's another time period slightly later. 
um, in the 70s. And then there's uh, the modern day, which is actually tw- 2015. Um, and, I mean, the effects in this series are incredible. I mean, you don't see a lot. It's kind of very reminiscent of Godzilla 2014 where you don't see a lot. But, I mean, in the first episode, we get... Uh, some of the destruction of San Francisco that happens in Godzilla 2014 and we see Godzilla and Godzilla looks just as incredible in this series as Godzilla looked in that movie. It's yeah, you've got to love Godzilla or as it's pro- appropriately pronounced. Gojira. 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 What? That's not how we say it. Well, it's actually how the Japanese say it. Gojira. 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 Fun fact for you. Mm. So I don't know whether you know this, but the Nissan GTR yeah. has the nickname Godzilla. There you go. Because it is it was always known of that because it was especially the R thirty five and even the R thirty four back mm. in their day. I mean, you remember the R thirty five on top year, it was Vaguely. the monster. It could do zero to sixty in like two seconds, which wow. was at the time, for like a $60,000 car, it was mental. Well, I mean, that's just... The, it would be called the Godzilla because the Japanese created Godzilla. Yeah, it's a Japanese monster, really. Yeah. So, we're really enjoying that. Kurt Russell's just appeared at the end of the episode we've just watched. Very exciting stuff. It's His Kurt son, Russell. You have to always be excited. Exactly. His son, Wyatt's in it. He's very good. We're really enjoying our time with that show. I uh, think let's go on to uh, the movies that we talked about last month uh, that are up for release, that have released in the month of November. We had The Killer on Netflix. I haven't had a chance to watch that yet. I've heard kind of mixed things, um, but I am looking forward to watching it. I quite like David Finch's work. Uh, the Marvels, I'll talk about that in a minute. Cooper hasn't seen it yet. He's still catching up on Miss Marvel. Cooper, how are you enjoying Miss Marvel so far? Yes, I was going to mention that when we get down to the next bit. But yes, I've been enjoying Miss Marvel. Yeah. Uh, so I'll get back to that one in a minute. Uh, next Goal Wins, as I mentioned at the top of the show, came out in cinemas over in the States. It has yet to come out here. It's got Michael Fassbender in it. It's also got one of my buddies, Chris Alosio, in it. What a legend. Uh, We then had Wish, which is a Disney film, which I don't think has come out yet. Either way, we haven't seen it. Leo on Netflix, also haven't seen. uh, And A Family Affair, which I don't know if it ever came out on Netflix. I haven't seen it, but that doesn't mean it's not out. The two movies that Cooper has seen that he can talk about this month are uh, The Hunger Games, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and Napoleon. So let's talk about... Let me just quickly talk about The Marvels, Cooper. I'm not going to do too much spoiler-wise. Okay, I'll just leave the room now. Goodbye, people. All right, bye, Cooper. Great. Now that he's gone, we can speak freely for a while. No, he's still here. He's looking over my shoulder and he's probably glaring angrily at me. Yes, Yeehaw! He... Oh, God, he's back. How dare you? I didn't even say anything that mean. Now I'm actually going to leave. Goodbye. I'm storming out. He didn't storm out. So the Marvels follows Captain Marvel, played by Brie Larson, uh, Monica Rambo. Yeah, Monica Rambo. Sorry, there's Monica and Marie and they're related and it always confuses me. But it's Monica uh, who is Spectrum and then you have Kamala Khan who is um, Ms. Marvel. And so you have, and sorry, to go back, Brie Larson plays Captain Marvel. You have Tiona Paris as Spectrum and you have Iman Vellani as Ms. Marvel and basically things happen with their powers that cause them to be uh, kind of quantum entangled. They keep switching places uh, with one another and they have to work together to save all of the people that they care about and all of the worlds that they are a part of. Um, you've got also Nick Fury appears, Kamala's family from Miss Marvel appear, uh, Goose 
the uh, cat who is actually a scary tentacle monster from the first film. Uh, Goose is back. And there may or may not be a few surprises and secrets towards the end. I really enjoyed this film. This film has some really great uh, elements to it. It has a really likable cast of main characters. Has some cool little beats and little moments. Uh, Villain's a bit weak. uh, Not from her performance. And I'm going to pull up her name because I will forget it. Even though she is engaged to Tom Hiddleston. She really? Yeah, the villain in, in Captain Marvel. Zoe Ashton, who is phenomenal, and I've seen her in, in a number of different things. She was in an episode of Doctor Who a number of years ago. Uh, she was also in The Velvet Buzzsaw, The Handmaid's Tale, and and a number of other uh, films over oh, the last few wait years. wait a minute. Go up. I recognise her. Yeah, Lashana from... Um, no time to die. No time to die. Yes. Uh, and obviously Samuel L. Jackson. Obviously Samuel. Anyway, where was I? I don't remember. Who would know? Uh, so Zoe Ashton, uh, not for any fault of hers. She does really good work with the material. It's just the villain's a little underdeveloped. But, you know, it's it's really about the three main heroines and they are fantastic. They're a really great um, match in this film. Cooper, what do you want to talk about first, The Hunger Games or Napoleon? What do you have more to say about and we'll do that last? I reckon we'll talk about The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. You keep doing this bit and it really doesn't work. What? I'm just trying to introduce it nicely. I'm trying to... Do I just go, oh, hell yeah. Yeah! It's the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I mean, you do that kind of thing most of the other times. It's just the the song intro really works when it's Hunger Games Catching Fire. When it's the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. That didn't sound too bad. And I thought bag and I thought we'd reference it to the last episode right thank you very much how about you tell us your thoughts on the latest entry into the Hunger Games franchise um so obviously last filmic feelings episode we talked about the rest of the Hunger Games films yes so if you want to know our thoughts uh already and particularly my thoughts about uh Josh Peter Hutchison. Malark and Josh Hutchison, who plays him. Poor Josh. You know, when you're in the spotlight, sometimes things just happen. Anyway, let's not do that again. Yeah, we've we've gotten a lot of messages, including Josh Hutchison, not very no, impressed. No, we haven't. Literally no one has messaged us to say anything about it. You're right. But they will now. Anyway... So we had the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is a spin-off of... Prequel? Yes, I was getting to that. Spin-off slash prequel of the last Hunger Games films, which is set about 64 or 65 years. 64 years before the first Hunger Games film. Yes, so 64 years and... It is, obviously, we have Coriolanus Snow with his sort of origin story. Yes, it's the it's the precursor to how he became the dictator of Pan Am that we meet in the original Hunger Games films. Yes, and you can very clearly, as this film goes on, you can see his evilness start to come through. Mm. So we've had him, we had, can't remember in, uh, her name in the film, but we have Rachel Zegley's character. As Lucy Gray Baird. Lucy Gray, who I think is fantastic. Yeah. Very good singer. Very A phenomenal singer. Because I had an interesting fact. Mm. 
you said that she got pulled out of high school to do what film was it? So basically she auditioned I think when she was like 16 ish or maybe 17 she got she auditioned for West Side Story which is a big musical written by Stephen Sondheim it's legendary and Steven Spielberg was making the film of it and she auditioned and she got the part and so she basically got pulled out of high school to play uh, Maria in West Side Story. And, you know, Maria's a massive part. There's a whole song that's literally, Maria, na-na-na-na-na, Maria. Sorry, it's been a long time since I've actually studied West Side Story. I haven't watched it in like two years, so I can't remember all the lyrics to the Maria song. But it is like the main female part. And since then, she's gone on to be in a number of different films. This is really her next big leading role in a film. Uh, she, after this, will be Snow White in a new Snow White film for Disney. But before we get there, we have her as Lucy Greybeard in The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And I think between her and Tom Blythe, who play Coriolanus Snow... They are absolute showstoppers. They are amazing. Um, And actually, addendum to that, not only them, but you also have Viola Davis as Dr. Gall, who is... Amazing. Spectacular. Words cannot describe how much I love Viola (laughs) Davis. And this film, I I just kind of... They very cleverly only include her in little bits of the marketing, but she is phenomenal. And then you've got Peter Dinklage as Dean Castor Highbottom. I thought you were going to say Peter Malark. No, he's not there. And uh, unfortunately, Peter cancelled for drinks at 1am a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Peter really left me in the lurch. Um, yeah. So and Peter he, Dinklage, if you're out there, I'm still waiting for that, for that yeah. uh, reschedule. Well, unfortunately, then about 12 hours later, he was poisoned by Coriolanus Snow. Wow. That's, that's that's simply sad. awful news. We we will never get to have you'll never get to have have wine, my moment. Have your wine with him. But he's phenomenal and also Jason Schwartz. Is that his name? Schwartzman maybe. Who plays Lucky Flickerman? Who is an ancestor to Caesar Flickerman? Yes, correct. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, and also another addendum, and I mean all of the actors and actresses are amazing, but another particular mention for Hunter Schaefer who plays Tigress Snow, who I don't feel gets enough play, doesn't get enough kind of um, to to do in this movie, but what she does with her screen time, phenomenal. Love it. Um. We get a lot of Hunger Games in this one, which is something that we didn't get for the last two Hunger Games films. But we also get a lot of... Cooper and Mum look at it as a, you know, uh, Coriolanus Snow becoming a bad person. I see it more as Coriolanus Snow accepting and allowing himself to be a bad person because I think that, you know, because of the things that shaped him and because of what happened in his life, I think he was always a bad person, um, you know, and that's that's not necessarily an indictment of him initially because you can have, you know, bad instincts, you know, a bad first reaction to something but be able to spin it, which is kind of how he operates for the first half of the film. You know, he's he's got these bad impulses that he uh, tries to manipulate and make them work for him in more positive ways. But then towards the end of the film, he throws that to the wind and just says, look, I don't care. I am going to do what is my instinct to do, which is to hurt people, 
to manipulate people and to assert my power and dominance over other people. And I think that it's a fantastic performance. I think it's a fantastic arc across the film for all of the characters. I really loved all the names we've mentioned and more. They're phenomenal. I really, really, really enjoyed this film. Sounds lovely. So shall we move on to the one that we don't have many good things to say about? Yeah, this one, I was really hoping I would like it more. I really, I I was, you know, I've been watching the trailers. I was like, okay, I, th- I think I can get behind this. Um, but Napoleon by Ridley Scott, kind yeah. of, eh. So this is a story about Napoleon Bonypah. Who Which is a joke that Cooper's pulled from a local comedian, uh, Guy Montgomery. Not even local, mate. He's from New Zealand. He's across the pond. Yeah, but he operates here in Australia as well. Yeah, true. That's where we've seen him. Yeah. But, yeah, Napoleon, it, it chronicles the life of Napoleon bony part as cooper insists on saying but napoleon bonaparte it follows him from the french revolution in about uh, 1789 until his death in 1815 i want to no it's longer it's like 1821 or something um but it's just it's interesting when you look at it versus Killer Killers of the Flower Moon because I think I spoke about it in the last wrap-up. No, I hadn't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet. Yes, because I saw that on my birthday. So since our last wrap-up episode, I saw Killers of the Flower Moon. I won't go into it. It's a three-and-a-half-hour long movie. But I will use it to kind of talk about Napoleon because uh, what Ridley Scott said in a... Uh, an article I was reading and for reference Kills the Flower Moon was made by Martin Scorsese who's been made famous over a multi-decade spanning career with movies like Goodfellas, Casino uh, and Wolf of Wall Street whereas Ridley Scott has done movies like Alien and uh, Gladiator and come on i got to go for a third what am I going to say for my third Ridley Scott film gosh it's been a while. I don't want to say Robin Hood because I want to give him more credit than that. Oh, Blade Runner. I never would have thought of that on my own. Uh, but let's not go into my opinions on Blade Runner right now. He was on Sky News. Well, there you go. We're not going there. That's a anyway, bad thing. Again, we're not going there. So... The, the difference between these two films and what Ridley Scott said is that uh, since Martin Scorsese began prepping Killers of the Flower Moon, he has made four films because Martin Scorsese has been basically making Killers of the Flower Moon since The Irishman, which he released in 2020, I think. It's like three years ago. I mean, considering... Wait, did it take them like a year for an hour of film? No. No, he spent ages me. he spent ages prepping it and then et cetera, et cetera. So just in the last four years, he's done two episodes of the Raised by Wolves TV series. He's done The Last Duel. He's done The House of Gucci. I mean, this is a short film that he did called Behold and then Napoleon. But I mean, if you count those last those two episodes of television as basically a movie. He's really done four kind of feature-length things where Martin Scorsese only done one. But I would argue, just off Napoleon alone, I haven't seen The House of Gucci. I haven't seen The Last Duel. Uh, it shows in the quality of filmmaking, not because of anything like craft-wise. I think that the uh, costumes are phenomenal. I think that the special effects are amazing. I think that the performances, you know, they've brought together some really great people and there's some, you know, the crafts there. And I don't even think that, that it's a case of the directing's bad. I just think that the story needed more time to cook. I really about 
I, I really cared about Napoleon for maybe an hour, maybe a bit longer. There's and and I started to wane off a bit, and then there's this really amazing battle in Russia where they're on the ice and it's in the snow and it's so atmospheric and it goes for like 20 minutes. I was like, oh, hell yeah. And then that stops and I'm like, I don't care anymore. Uh, And even before that, my care for this movie was kind of in and out and waning a bit. Hang on. You're excited when a bunch of people got killed by cannons and if they didn't get killed by cannons, they fell into the water and drowned. But it and was, that's horses as well. It was really, like, beautiful cinematically. And it I was mean, really... What about like, the Battle of Waterloo? Eh. Because eh. that battle that I'm talking about, like, they come to Napoleon. Like, their army's rushing him and he's, like, holding off his people. He's like, no, we don't go yet. We don't go yet. And then he executes this, like, three-phase plan that completely decimates this other army and basically asserts himself as like the primo commander of military in Europe at the time. And then the Battle of Waterloo, he literally just sends like three waves of people who kind of get slaughtered by the English and then it's all kind of over. It's, um, it, it kind of, Waterloo, which is probably his most well-known battle, just kind of feels like by that time in the story, I was like, I don't care anymore. Like he's already been, and this is of course historically what happened is he got exiled from France and then came back and that's when this war with England happened. But I just didn't care by that point. Also, did the Russians actually burn down Moscow? I think so. And then I think they had to like... Spend years rebuilding it and for that whole time St. Petersburg was the capital of Russia. Hasn't St. Petersburg always been the capital though? No, St. Petersburg is like in the same way that we have Sydney and uh, the ACT and Canberra. It's the same kind of thing where... I don't know which is which, though. I think St. Petersburg is a bit more of the the cultural center. Well, it's a port city as well, which I don't think Moscow is. Oh, Moscow is not port city. Yeah, Moscow is sure. like on a hill, isn't it? It's the capital. But see, yeah, it's landlocked. So in that way. Where's St. Petersburg? Oh, there. Oh, my God. See how far away it is? Yeah, up up here. See, it's near Finland. Finland. So, you know. Russia is very big. I've just realised. You've just realised that Russia is massive? I always knew it was big. Because look, we're still scrolling out. And we're still not even, like, I can't actually scroll out far enough to really capture the size of Russia. Like, look at how massive that is. Now I understand why they say it's way bigger than, like, America and all that. Oh, massively. But, yeah, so Moscow is kind of like your Canberra and then St. Petersburg is kind of like your Sydney. That's kind of the – to make it real Australian-centric, that's kind of how it works. But, yeah, I just – I didn't care about this film. I quite enjoyed Joaquin's performance. I think it's one of my favourite – one of – my more preferred of his. Um, I liked Vanessa Kirby. I I didn't dislike anyone or anything about this movie, but I just kind of walked out and I just went, eh, that felt more like it needed to be a miniseries. I needed more time to sit with a lot of that. Like things came out of the blue. Like I, I think you get a bit of emotional whiplash when you're covering a really complicated relationship dynamic like the one that Josephine and Napoleon had when you're doing it in a film that's even though this film is two and a half hours long it's a really difficult relationship like you're having him in one scene when they're about to get divorced because she can't give him an heir you have him go from I love you and I don't want to let you go 
to they're giving this declaration, not even in front of the public, just in front of like just for the formality of it. And he literally smacks her across the face in the middle of it. And it's this whole thing. And it's really like tense and well and quite confronting. And you just can't and then the next scene, he's arriving at her country estate and they're all like kind of lovey dovey again, but she's like all with like she's obviously traumatized and withdrawn now. It's it's just well, really – and then she's on her deathbed and she's like, where's Napoleon? I want to see Napoleon. And you're like, you're well, missing so much connective if, tissue If here. you go back even further, like so you mentioned how they were all like, I love you and I don't want to lose you, and then the divorce happened. You're also forgetting that before I love you and I don't want to lose you, they were at the dinner table and he was like, if you don't have me an heir to the throne by tonight, we're going to be filing for divorce. Yeah. And it's like throwing food at each other. They're throwing stuff at one another when they have guests over. Mm. It's... I just... I really wanted to like this film and I liked a lot of parts of this film, but just it's not enough. Would it's you not agree enough with to the tell star the story. rating there? Because I'm guessing that's well, we're out of 10. At, we're looking at IMDb right now. It says 67, well, it's 6.7 uh, stars. Let's see what it's ranked. Rotten Tomato. Yeah. Just because I'm curious. Let's have a look. Audience rating. It's about even, so it's a 60 and a 60. And, like, you've got a an article here. Critics of Napoleon Epic have fallen for Emperor's Fibs, says military, film's military expert. Anyway, there's there's all this discourse about it being historically accurate and all this stuff. At the end of the day... I'm not really too fussed about the historical accuracy of it. I just think it's kind of all over the place. And I think that either you need to make it a more concise film and it needs to highlight a much more windowed part of his life and you allude to other parts of his life or you just make it a mini-series in this day and age. Uh you need more time to sit with that story. It's just, it's, it's not long enough for the breadth of the story that they're trying to tell. And it's too long for the individual parts of the story they're trying to tell. If you want to tell a Josephine love story, it should be shorter. If you're trying to tell just a story of his greatest hits of his military combats, because also then towards at the end, they throw up all of these death counters and I was trying to figure out whether they were death counters of how many French people died or or how many many deaths he was responsible for and it was kind of unclear. I think it was how many deaths he was responsible for. Well, see, I actually think it was like his own people. I actually think it was both, to be honest. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it's it's very confusing. Um would Not you say people go watch it, or would you say just wait for it to be out in cinema on uh, whatever it's called? Streaming? I would say if you've got a really small TV at home, you may as well go out and watch it in cinemas. If you've got a bigger TV at home, I'd say probably wait for this to come out on streaming. Yeah, it's um, going to be on Apple TV Plus soon, and then it'll be all over. You'll be able to rent it, buy it, however you want to yeah, consume see, it. Yeah, see, because. It almost was – it reminded me a bit of when we watched Dune. It felt like it went for a very long time. Like it yeah, felt longer see, than two hours. Dune I liked the pacing of and Dune I was I was in it the whole time. And even I was saying earlier when we were talking about it, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon was three and a half hours long. But I got to the end of that film and I went, that's how long you needed to tell that story. And – Film was the right – you could have told it in a series, but 
the way that Martin Scorsese put that film together, I went, I understand why he went with the film and I'm on board. I like it. And it felt rightly paced. And this just feels like there's too much left for kind of um, – there's too much left out. Yeah. and Or too much put in. Again, it depends on your perspective. I mean, also, you could have made it a series because – I feel like over the past couple of years, series have become a lot more popular. Well, I mean... Like, Star Wars only do series. As Marvel s- pretty much only do series. As I said earlier, Ridley Scott has directed two episodes of a TV series in the last, like, three years. So, you know, I, I don't Two think episodes in the same season or... Yeah. It only got one season, that show. Oh, did it fail? I don't know. I don't... I took one look at the trailer and went, that show's not for me, so that's fine. Anyway, uh, yeah, Napoleon, if you don't need to go see it in cinemas, I don't necessarily think that it's worth going to see. Um, that's that's my honest thoughts. Uh, quickly running through things that uh, I personally, at least, these aren't things that Cooper's yet to see, but the things that I'm yet to see... Uh, there's a film that's come out called Thanksgiving. It's a horror film. It looks great. I'm very excited to go see it in the next uh, few days, ideally. More it's likely R-rated, weeks. It's R-rated, apparently. Yeah. Well, it's I don't know it's if it's R-rated here. No, it said R-rated when we looked at the cinemas today. Trust me, I had a look. It was on the thing. Let's have a look. Yeah, R-18. R-18, high impact Horror, violence, blood and gore. I'm yeah, even so, more excited so, to see it now. So it's just your regular Thanksgiving in America. Yeah, so it's after a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorises Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. Once again, just a every year Thanksgiving event. Yeah. There's also uh, three other films I don't want to see. There's Saltburn, which is the latest from Emerald Fennel. I What's really that about? Uh, let's pull it up. Saltburn. That sounds really weird for a name. Well, you know. It's almost like we've ran out of names just to put in films. Academy Award winning filmmaker Emerald Fennel, best known for Promising Young Woman, brings us a beautifully wicked tale of privilege and desire. Struggling to find his place at Oxford University, student Oliver Quick finds himself drawn into the world of the charming and aristocratic Felix Catton, who invites him to Saltburn, his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. It features Richard E. Grant, Jacob Elordi, Barry Keoghan, Archie Madwek, uh, Mattaquay, apologies, Archie, Carrie Mulligan, Alison Oliver, and Rosamund Pike. Now, you know Archie McKedway because he was uh, Gran Turismo. He was was uh, um, Jan. Jan Mountain. I've forgotten his name. I really really need to watch that film again. You've also got Barry Keoghan, who was in The Batman as the Joker. You've also Oh, he's got the Joker. So is he going to be in the new one? He's... He is that one. You so remember? is he going to be in the new one? Maybe. That we'll they're see. Making? Uh, and you've also got Richard E. Grant who played the older Loki in Loki season one. While we're doing this, with that photo, doesn't he look a little bit like Dylan Urkov? The tenniser? I don't know who Dylan Urkov is. The the disabled tennis player. I don't know who you're talking about. <sighs> you can tell how cultured this man is. I'm sorry. Don't throw s- statements like that around. That's Richard E. Grant well, as Loki in the first season. He's quite a well-known Australian disabled tennis player. What's his name? Dylan Urkov. Can't I? No, it's spelled with an A. Alcott. No. Yes, that's him. Right. Well, I know Dylan Alcott. Yeah, but I, I didn't know how you name. were saying his name. I know Dylan Alcott. I don't know him as a tennis player though. I mainly know him now because he's an actor. 
Well, he mainly is tennis player. Well, not anymore. He's retired. He's got a full, um, like, television career and acting career that he's got going now. Anyway. Um, so there's that one. There's also Bottoms, which came out earlier in the year in America, which we haven't gotten yet. We get Bottoms it Up. Today, I think. And then Uproar, which is a New Zealand film starring Julian Dennison and Reese. Not your fans. I always. Reese Darby. That's his name. Uh, now, before we get into uh, December releases, and there are a lot of them, uh, Cooper briefly wants to talk about some of the stuff that he's been watching outside of the traditional uh, release schedules and outside of the traditional, what's the word, platforms. So, Cooper, take it away. So, uh, as we mentioned earlier, been re-watching some Miss Marvel. Yep. So... We're up to episode three now because when um, it came out, usually we watch these shows together, me, Bailey and mum. But Bailey was in Sydney on a job last year when it came out. And and so we, they got slack and didn't watch it. Well, we watched one episode and we really didn't have the time to watch any more episodes. So we didn't watch any more. So now we're... So slack watching. of them, I know. Well, I'm sorry that we don't have time like you, you do. I was literally working 50-hour weeks. I mean, I was kind of working 50 hours a week as well, if we really think about it. If we're really thinking about it. But you had to work a 10-hour job. I had to go to school for seven hours and then do lots of homework. Well... You know what you could have done? What? Could have done what they do in all the superhero movies. Just tried more. What do you mean by that? It's okay. It's a reference you're not understanding. Please continue with the other things that you've been watching. Okay. Once I get untangled from a chair. Please hold. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Cooper, get out of this chair. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. He's struggling. He's really struggling. And now, rather than actually engaging in this, he's just dancing. He's gotten out of his chair, but he's just dancing. Woo! Oh, that was fun. Why can this not just be our whole episode? Because. It was entertaining. Anyway, so yeah, watching a bit of Miss Marvel... And then I've been going back and re-watching some of the old Grand Tour episodes because we should be expecting a new one either this December or maybe in January. Uh, don't know exactly when that's going to come out, but I think that'll be a great um, episode because I've seen some of the behind-the-scenes of it that have been posted on the internet. It is going to be in Africa Oh, okay. Where in Africa? Uh, I can never pronounce it. Mo- Mozambique? No, it's M-A-U-R. There. Mauritius? No, it was the other one. They're all the same one. Maror. If you go M-A-U-R... I mean, that's what I've been doing. It's literally all the same thing. Yeah. T. N. There. Country. Mauritania. Or Mauritania, depending on how Americanized yeah, so you want it to it's be. It's sort of near the Western Sahara. Right. So that's where they've been filming. And actually, so... We've got that one, and then the next one after that is also going to be in Africa. Right. But okay. it's sort of going to be around Botswana area. Right. 
So we've got some Grand Tour coming up. So I've been re-watching some of that and also some of the older Top Gear episodes. Yep. Because it has... This should have been in the automotive remarks section last week, but we didn't actually know about it yet. Is that Top Gear has been a f- uh, officially, officially shelved? So yeah. So basically, Freddie Flintoff injured himself while filming the latest season of Top Gear now. a year ago now, in December of 2022, and he and still got injuries for a long time. There was just radio silence about it, and there still is. All we know well, is that the show's been shelved. Now we just know that the the show is on an indefinite hiatus. Yeah, so what we believe, because I was listening to another one of the podcasts that I listened to about this, is that what will probably happen is it will probably be left for three or four years and then maybe they'll try and revive it with all new cast. Right. Uh, do you think they should revive it? I mean, why not? Because it's not like it's been awful. The only time that it really was horrid was sort was of... the first season. Was Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris Evans's season. Because when you think about it, the Matt LeBlanc-Rory Reed time wasn't too bad. Mm. And Freddie Flintoff and Paddy McGuinness were quite good. Yeah. It was just sort of the Chris Evans era. Yeah. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter the most for us because we've got Top Gear Australia now coming. Yep. And the Americans also have Top Gear America, Uh I believe. Don't quote me on that. I don't actually know. Yeah. But we have Top Gear Australia coming, which I'm – every time I think about that, I almost worry a bit because, as we've mentioned before, no car people in that whatsoever. It's Bo Ryan, an ex-footballer. Anthony LaPaglia. 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 I always, I jokingly call him LaPaglia and the whole LaPaglia family. It's a little in-joke I have, but it's the LaPaglias. I can't remember the musician's name. Yeah, I don't remember either. And so I worry about that show. I hope it does well. I really hope so. And I'm always going to give it a go. I always give... Top Gear, even though I know it's probably going to be bad, I always give it a go. There you go. And what a lesson for life, everybody. Yeah, I've been talking to people who are just like, no, I can't be bothered. I'm like, I'm going to give it a chance. Well, there you go. If it's crap, it's crap. Speaking of giving it a chance, there's a lot of things for you to give a chance. In the coming month, there is a cavalcade of films releasing. So much so that I am going to speed through them and maybe make one or two comments about each. So first we've got The Bike Riders, which is starring Austin Butler of Elvis fame. It's about people on motorbikes. We've got a Studio Ghibli film. I'm excited for that. Anyway, go. I can't have you comment like that on all of them. You've got to pick your moments. We've got an anime. There we go. That's going to shut Cooper right up. He won't want to talk about it. No. The Boy and the Heron, which is a Studio Ghibli film. Uh, there's a, a wonderful Japanese voice cast and a wonderful uh, American voice cast. Not going to go into it. Silent Night, which is the latest film from Ang Lee, yeah. which features Joel Kinnaman. It's Can't about a wait. mute guy murdering people on Christmas. You know Cooper and I love our violent Christmas movies. Candy Cane Lane, which is an Eddie uh, Murphy comedy set on Christmas. We love it. May, December, don't know a lot about it. It's Natalie Portman and it's Julianne Moore. God, that took me way longer than it should have. You've got Leave the World Behind, which is Julia Roberts and Mahershala Ali and I want to say Ethan Hawke. If I got this right, just off my vague memory of a trailer, yes, I did, Ethan Hawke. Uh, So we've got that one. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon is also present. Uh, Wonka featuring Timothy Chalamet, which is all about Yeah Cooper's excited for Wonka, which I did not expect. That came right out of left field when he expressed interest in that the other day. Hell yeah. I've always been interested in that movie since we heard about it. Well, there you go. But uh, Wonka, Timothy Chalamet, it's an origin story for Willy Wonka of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fame. The Family Plan, it's a Mark Wahlberg action movie that I probably will not watch. Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. It's another Chicken Run movie. I don't know whether it's a prequel, sequel, or something else. You figure it out. 
American Fiction, which has got Jeffrey Wright in it. It looks really good. It looks cool. Uh, Maestro, which is uh, Bradley Cooper, but he's got a big nose because he's playing a composer dude from... Uh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say composer dude. He is playing uh, Leonard Bernstein, who is... Uh, my greatest exposure to him is a joke done by John Mulaney in a special he released like three years ago. Actually, it was probably more like seven years ago. Uh, Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. It's a new Aquaman and it's probably going to be bad from everything I've heard about it. Migration, which actually looks really good. It's about ducks flying south for the winter and they get caught in a city and it looks actually really cool and fun and I like it. The Iron Claw, which is Zac Efron being a wrestler. Anyone But You is Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell being really hot in Sydney, Australia. And I'm excited for it because it kind of looks like a lot of fun. Rebel Moon Part 1, Child of Fire, which is Zack Snyder, which means I'm probably not going to like it, but I will hate watch it anyway just to tell people never to see it. Freud's Last Session is Matthew Good and Anthony Hopkins, and it's all about Sigmund Freud, everyone's favorite expert of Oedipal complexes. We've got The Color Purple, which is a musical uh, adaptation of the famous story. We've got Ferrari, which Cooper's very excited for. It's about Enzo Ferrari, uh, played by Adam Driver. And you can tell Cooper's excited because he has not moved. I'll talk about that in a minute. But also, I'm finding it really funny because Bailey's gone full radio with this now. Oh, 100%. I can go full radio on this. But guess what? The one that I'm going to talk about is the one I'm most excited for. It's Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. Oh, no. Season one. I am so excited for this show. Where does that even say that? Right there in uh, the middle. I can't, I skipped past it and came back to it because it's the uh, one I wanted to talk about the most. Nobody cares. Great. So I've turned, I've turned Cooper's microphone right down so he can't interject. Uh, I'm really excited for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. It's got Rick Riordan attached. It's got Dan Hanna as a production designer. It is going to be phenomenal. And I don't care if Cooper watches it or doesn't watch it with me. So long as so long as he stays out of my way. All right, Declan, yes, I'll turn his microphone up so that we can have, you know, some comedic back and forth for the next two seconds. How dare you? Oh, no, that's all we have time for, everybody. No, no, you never heard what I had to say about some of these films. Eh. Eh. You forgot the well, colour purple as well. I didn't forget the colour purple. Oh, I said honest. the colour purple. I, I lost you in your radio voice. Right. Uh, bike riders, remind me, what's the story about again? It's Austin Butler and he's in a bike gang with oh. Tom Hardy and he's dating Jodie Comer. Nope, not interested. Um, uh, what else we got? Silent Night looks really good. Yep. Can't wait for that. I can't see. Um, Silent Night, yep. It's like Violent Night. It's going to be very great. Candy Cane Lane, not even going to go there. That's Bailey's heaven. Leave the world behind. Don't know it. Uh, Wonka. Extremely excited. Are you going to go back through this entire list that I've no. just read through? No. Um, that you weren't <laughs> listening to me read through. That you're now reading for the first time now, even though I've literally just done all of it. I got lost in your radio voice, okay? Right. Um, we've got Wonka. Um, oh, God, I know his name's Hugh. I can't remember his last name. Was it Grant? Hugh Grant. Hugh, Hugh Grant. Hugh, Hugh Grant. 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 Just keep talking. <laughs> Hugh Grant as a little... Oompa Loompa. Oompa Loompa. I'd like to let you know I am a respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. For an Oompa Loompa. Oh, nobody cares. Anyway. Nobody cares about the fact that you're going over this list again when I've already done <laughs> Shut it. Shut up. Hurry it up. I'm giving you some of my thoughts. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, he's going to be amazing as he always is. Hugh Grant... As always, very amazing. So I think that's going to be really good. Uh, what else have we got in terms of main stuff? Migration, that looks extremely fun. I can't wait for that. 
Bailey's got his head in his arms. Well, you fell asleep while I was talking, so no, now I'm doing the same. No, I was laughing my head off. Um, migration, that looks really funny. I think that's going to be enjoyable. And Ferrari, the story, Adam Driver's story of Enzo Ferrari, which I'm going to be interested to see if they add in a little bit of the story with both Ford versus Ferrari and Lamborghini because that plays quite an important role in um, Ferrari's history. Yes. And I also wonder whether it's going to go into Enzo himself or whether it's going to touch on Ferrari's history. Like the Lambo film touched on Ferruccio's story. I wonder whether this one will touch on just Enzo's story or the whole Ferrari story. I guess we will find out when we get a chance to see it. And yes. with that, everybody... Oh, you're not even going to tell them about the next shows coming up? Or are you about not, to say that? We're going to make it a surprise. Oh. Mostly because we don't know what we're going to do next week for our main show episode because uh, we're going to be doing it remotely. But um, next filmic feelings. What are we going to be Christmas? Merry Christmas. Don't know I what don't song he's singing. The song. You're not actually singing any Christmas song I've ever heard, and I know most of them. All right, lovely listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of uh, Speak Way Bro Filmic Feelings. We hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful week. We will see you next week for a main show episode and then the week after for our next Filmic Feelings, which will be about Christmas films. Until then, lovely listeners, see you later. Yeah! Goodbye. Goodbye.